an, a really common example um, that almost everybody has probably experienced that has ever played a, a, a court or a field sport is rolling your ankle. So like, so like a lateral ankle sprain. So the reason that, and sometimes it's like, it hurts for a few seconds and you just kind of run it off and everything's all fine and wonderful. But in other circumstances, you have a major blowout and you have a major sprain, right? All that is, is a rapid expansion of that, that anterior lateral aspect. So the outside aspect of your ankle, you, you roll the foot, across the, the heel, the synovial fluid inside the joint rapidly moves from one side of the joint to the other. And it's at such a rate that, that the tissues reach their constraint and then they have to let go. Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. And you can see that. So I think maybe if we talk about like comparing a disc, like a spinal disc herniation to like mm -hmm. what's happening at the knee and how mm -hmm. those are actually like the same thing in a lot yeah. of cases. Yeah. Maybe we show we can we can show these two as like a as a, a sort of a coherent example. So yeah, both both are representative of a focal, like a small space that is expanding for whatever reason it may be. In, in a lot of cases, it's actually to slow movement down, right? We're, we're trying to create a strategy that, that so it's like, especially a disc herniation. So, so when we walk, we have connective tissue behavior. So your fascia, your tendons and all that stuff um, changes shape and it actually controls how fast you move forward. Sometimes because of the orientations and positions of the body, there's certain certain segments that will go forward faster and you still need to slow down. So every time your foot strikes the ground, there's actually a, there's a deceleration that has to happen. The connective tissue behaviors are actually very, very good at doing that. But if I'm in a situation where the connective tissue behaviors can't do that, then I tend to rely a little bit more on structure. And so you, you look at a disc herniation or a spondylolisthesis or something like that. One is a disc, one is a bone. They're both deceleration strategies, right? So there, so it's a change in the shape of a physical structure to actually, actually create a delay, if you will, in moving forward too quickly. The expanded representation of the knee could, could have been an attempt to do the same thing, whether it's happening you know, over a longer period of time or whether it's happening acutely. Right. So if you have some type of posterior herniation, posterior lateral herniation of a disc, it's very likely that you have some type of posterior lateral yielding or expansion in your knee. Uh, entirely possible. Entirely yeah. possible. And you could also again, see that in the, your head. You could see that in your ankle. You could see that in your hand and your wrist. Sure. Sure. Again, it all has to do, all has to do with, with positions, right? If you see a, uh, um, a baseball pitcher with a medial elbow problem. It's usually an expanded representation of the medial elbow, which means that you've got a compression on the outside of the elbow, expansion on the inside of the elbow. And then that's why yeah. you would, would see the, the structural um, changes over time. Or in the, the, again, in the acute situation, then you have a really rapid expansion. So and a, a really common example um, that almost everybody has probably experienced that has ever played a, a, a court or a field sport is rolling your ankle. So like, so like a lateral ankle sprain. So the reason that, and sometimes it's like, it hurts for a few seconds and you just kind of run it off and everything's all fine and wonderful. But in other circumstances, you have a major blowout and you have a major sprain, 
right? All that is, is a rapid expansion of that, that anterior lateral aspect, so the outside aspect of your ankle. You, you roll the foot across the, the heel, the synovial fluid inside the joint rapidly moves from one side of the joint to the other, and it's at such a rate that, that the tissues reach their constraint, and then they have to let go because they can't, they can't withhold the, the water pressure. Right. So and instead of, instead of your, instead of your body as a entire system, finding a way to sort of expand and manage that space you're moving into right there, it becomes like a weakness in the chain of command or whatever you want to call it. And that, in that area, your ankle is given way in order to try to create the space because it can't. Right. I would, I would, I wouldn't call it a weakness. I would call it a reliance. Right. Okay. It's, it's just going to depend on one structure to do a distributed job, but it becomes very focal. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's why it exceeds the tissue tolerance. Right. Because if I had a focal distribution. So so let, let me give you an example. So we're playing soccer and you're going to cut off of your right foot. So you go into the cut, you push out of the cut. Nothing bad ever happens. OK. Now you're in a game situation, a little less controlled. Um, you're, you're, you get bumped as you go into the cut. So now you're accelerated into it a little bit faster than you normally would. You put your foot under the ground and the force is so great that you can't keep the, the down force into the ground. You roll to the outside of your foot, you slide inside your shoe, and then there goes your ankle because everything just keeps going in the same direction that you were going before. That happens so quickly, so quickly. There, so there's a thing called electromechanical delay. Um, as to when the signaling of that position gets to your brain and then you can come up with the stretch or actually probably it's probably more spinal reflex, but, but, but um, there, there's a time frame as to how quickly you can respond. It happens so quickly that is, that is faster than your ability to respond. That's how you get a sprained ankle because normally if you had enough time and we're talking like split seconds here, the muscles would kick in and protect that joint from actually rolling too far in one direction. See if this resonates with you. You want to get back to the gym and get in shape. Maybe get back to playing golf or your favorite sport or get out and go for a run. Maybe you just want to move and feel better. But every time you restart, that old ache or strain rears its ugly head and interrupts your comeback. When I wrote All Gain No Pain for my patients who had completed their physical therapy, we knew what they were ready for. You're in a different space with a different starting point than before. You don't feel like a physical therapy patient, so you're going to need to approach this differently. With some guidance, you'll first need to reconstruct your movement foundation that takes your physical structure into consideration. You're going to have ongoing questions as you think differently, so you're going to need a like-minded, supportive community to support your progression. That's, that's typically, so another example of that delay would be like typical hamstring strains. People, when people think that they strain their hamstring, is very likely not when they did. And yeah, I know this, I, is, I, this I, is something that okay. So this is something where like the research people are going to come after me with their pitchforks. Yeah. Well, there's but, two places. There's two places. There's there's two places where you could most likely result in it. They're both represented as as very strong representations of internal rotation. And if you are externally rotated in that circumstance, you are more likely just to to strain a hamstring. Right. Yeah. One is one is with the, when the foot's in contact with the ground, and they and they they agree with that. And then they will say that that at the end of the of the swing phase is where you would most likely um, see the other. And I think they give too much credit to the one at the end of swing phase, because I, I think the I think the ground con I think that because of the amount of downforce into the ground, 
Um, I think that that's a more likely candidate. Um, and then it, it's really hard. It's really hard to pin this down um, because think about it. So if I hit my foot into the ground, I'm a sprinter. My foot hits the ground and I strain my hamstring. Um, I don't quote me on this, but if you like stubbed your toe, I think it's like 300 milliseconds to get to your brain. Yeah. You almost have an ch- opportunity to be like, here it comes. Yeah. All you got to do is stub your toe in the middle of the night and you hit it. You hear the sound. You go, oh man, this is not going to be. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the same thing would happen. Right. And granted hamstrings are maybe, you know, half a leg closer. Yeah. Right. Half a leg closer to your brain. So it might happen a little bit quicker, but but typically you would respond at a different point where your foot actually might be off the ground. And so maybe that's why they give that that credit. Again, I'm not going to say that that I, I know better than than anyone else. I'm just going to say that, that, that those yeah. are the two two most likely uh, representations. Yeah. In the within the spirit of this podcast of having people ask questions and reconsider, it would mm-hmm. make it's reasonable to think what you what you're saying and what I was I was sort of purporting is this that like it's the significant force. So I want to expand upon something that you said, because I think it's a really important explanation for pain or uh, reasoning behind why pain and injury might occur. It's when your body's attempt to put internal rotation and downforce down into the ground mm-hmm. while the body's in an externally, while the area is in an external orientation or representation. Right. Um, right. And then, right. so the other, the other thing before we get into that was just the, um, with the hamstrings, like when you, when you have your foot on the ground, you're in sort of like, you're attempting to put maximum propulsion, maximum force into the ground. Uh, that's where the strain is probably going to happen to the most significant degree. And you might certainly, you could potentially make it worse on the swing phase if, if the, if your position has kind of been sacrificed. So it could just be both. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it oh, could be like I give, I give way to the the tissue and then I pull on it even more and I make it worse. So it's just like this double this double pop. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, what what doesn't get discussed enough is the way that the muscles actually behave as they're as they're changing shape because there's a lot of twisting and untwisting that would occur. Yeah, you know, and this will show of all places this shows up in the the stretching literature where you'll see differences in fasciculi orientation, or you'll see it in the hamstring training literature where they'll see differences in fasciculi orientation without any reference to the, the changes in the bony positions. Um, if, you, if you actually see the difference in the bony positions, then the, the fasciculi reorienting themselves starts to make a whole lot of sense because there's certain positions where we would want the muscle to be um, the, the fasciculi to be oriented in a certain way because then it can apply greater force um, into the ground without the risk of the the twisting that would occur that that may result in the strain itself. Right. Okay. And then let's um, let's jump on board that. So I want to I want to talk about. So we've talked about like what pain is and what it isn't. We've talked a bit about relative motions and orientations. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about injury occurring at the area or the site where the body is attempting to put force down into the ground and it can't do it in a uh integrated systemic way so it it just focal it attempts to do it at one point it's not distributed yeah yeah well so so think about so force application to Let's use sprinting as an example because there's there's research to 
to support this. It's like when you're sprinting at top speed, the, the, the direction of force is straight down into the ground, right? It's not pushing, it's not pushing you forward. It's like literally you're, you're bouncing across the ground by, by the, the downward force application. So that's what we're talking about. And so under most circumstance, um, while you'll have a, a, uh, a, uh, series of vectors that would be applying in most situations, like changes of direction and things like that, there's always going to be an element of the downforce. And if the, if the orientation of the body is insufficient to apply that downforce with a sufficient amount of internal rotation, you're going to try to apply that through the externally rotated representation. That's where all the really nasty stuff occurs. The, the inversion ankle sprain. So rolling your ankle is a great example of that. So um, if you plant your foot into the ground, trying to capture the internal rotation, that would be the inside edge. So we always talk about that in, in our discussions that that inside part of the foot is where I start to capture the internal rotation. If I roll to the outside edge, now I'm trying to push into the ground through an externally rotated representation. That's where the negative secondary consequences are most likely to occur. Yeah. So a short way of explaining that is if you run on the outsides of your feet and your toes, <laughs> yes. you're going to have a bad time. Potentially, yes. Eventually, yeah. I, I would think that you would start to recognize that there's there's some nasty stuff going on. Yeah. Right. And and not that that was your point, but I want to sort of expand upon that eventuality of injury and the probability of injury getting higher and higher over time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. space. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think if we we can't really talk about like how injuries happen, especially if we're considering your model, unless we think about physics center of gravity, base of support, uh, what happens to the body as I compress it from front to back and I push my center of gravity forward. Uh -huh. And so I would like to, I know this is a, another one of these things that we could talk about for a very long time, but um, talk about like the pathway of compensation, the journey of compensation where you where people tend to end up at the end of their constraints uh and then how that relates back to our conversation about trying to put force down into the ground while in an externally oriented position or in a, in a position more of more external rotation like how does that even how do we even get to that point um there's a very simple representation that is actually very helpful. So when we look at how humans are designed from, and I'm talking about like from the get go. So we're talking embryologically speaking, everything, everything that we are came from uh, an externally rotated representation. Okay. So we're very, we're very um, amphibious like if you will so if you took a frog laying on its back that's typically the the position that that we are constructed in and then we learn how to turn inward to push into the ground so if we were if we were living in water chances are we would never have acquired the degree of internal rotation capacity that we have because we just don't have to deal with as much gravity. We don't have to push against things nearly as much. And you'll see this in high level swimmers. High level swimmers don't have a lot of internal rotation because they don't need it. Um, the, it, it certainly the way that they apply it into the water, it, it's not the same as walking on land. So I always make the joke about the swimmers not being very, very well versed as land mammals. And that's true. 
They're not. Um, I've worked with several SWIT teams. Yeah. So, so, but, but, but with the understanding that that our 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 structural biases towards moving away from midline external rotation, um, with with you know a few exceptions in regards to to archetype structure. But generally speaking, everybody's going to move into the external rotation space because that's where you were made. It's very easy for you to go in that direction. Case in point, you'll almost never see a medial kneecap dislocation. They almost always go. I've, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen one unless it was like a high force, like direct blow to a knee. Um, typically almost all of them are going to be in towards external rotation because that's where that's where the patella came from. It used to be externally rotated just like the whole lower extremity did. This is why the dorsum of your foot is on the top and not the bottom where it should be. The dorsum means back, and so it should be the back of your foot, but it appears to be the front of your foot because your legs got twisted in, right, when you learned how to um, roll, crawl, and then stand up, right? And so we always move in this direction. And so um, this is one of the consequences of being upright on two legs is that is that this is our bias. We will always move in this direction. We always go forward. The faster we go forward, um, the more we turn out away from midline. And so this is this is the battle that we fight by being bipedal. We're pretty good at it. But generally speaking, it's still a circus act. And, and we have to understand that we're always going to be trying to turn away from the ground. But we also have to push into the ground. So if we turn away, we actually lose some of our ability to push into the ground, which is why we have to use compensatory strategies to push down. Now we've got a double whammy. So we're moving away from midline where we can't produce enough force. We have to cheat to produce force. And then that's where we get, we'll go back to the beginning of the story where we got pressures and tensions and structural loads and stuff over time. Yeah. And then you'll, what you're going to see are like orientations of joints position to try to direct the force back down so as Correct. as we push as things get pushed from front to back because we have a lot of muscles that are good at squeezing from front to back we are always moving forwards through space and time gravity is making us fall forwards so what two ends steps up forward one step one step forward, forward. Yeah. <laughs> when you squeeze and you sort of fall through space your only options are to keep going forward and away from midline like bill is saying so just imagine your foot contacts and your base of support and those the the pressure with the ground is just getting farther away and then forwards onto the outside so i end up what i was talking about earlier of running on the outsides of your feet on your pinky toes basically yeah that is your attempt to not that is your attempt to put the force down into the ground but you're not getting that sort of internal rotation push off the inside of the foot so in order mm -hmm. to do that there's going to be a give somewhere and a lot of times you'll see an anterior orientation of a pelvis or you'll start to see bony bends like right. knobby knees or you know there's a lot of knob knobby toes yeah yeah. yeah. Um, for, for those people that, that are listening to you and you go, but Chris, um, I don't walk on the outsides of my, my feet. I actually have this really low arch. Those yeah. are the people that are using a compensatory internal rotation strategy to push the foot down into the ground. So that was what you, you would see a lot of. So take someone's pelvis, dump it totally forwards. That will allow me to capture the inside of my foot. But if you were to look at the orientation of all of the joints, they would still be sort of at their externally rotated. Right. They still turn away, presentation. From, they turn away from the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like that was an attempt at sort of explaining why we end up over time getting farther mm -hmm. 
and farther away from midline. And then our strategy, we eventually run out of options to move so that the, and you end up moving like a swimmer on suck on land. So the, it's so funny. Cause like, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about like working with, cause every time you work with a swim team, like as a coming from like the background of a college strength coach, you've got like 40 kids and you're trying to have them do like, they're like, Oh, we, the coaches are always like, we need the kids to do dry land stuff because they're just nerds and they can't like move unless we put them in the water. So it's just a bunch of kids with their arms pressed to their sides that look like penguins trying to do like ladder drills. It's <laughs> yeah. so funny. And if anyone is a, has coach swimmers or college swimmers or anything like that, I'm sure that they're laughing right now because they've all so seen this. Kid, I, I don't want to get off on the swimming thing, but it, but it is, it's yeah. kind of interesting. Like when you think about, about racing performance on a, on a swimmer, we always talk about the anterior posterior compressive strategies being interference to to movement in a lot of cases and we're talking about in these land-based situations there's actually a benefit to that uh, to flattening out a swimmer all right because it actually improves their surface their their surface area relative to the water so they actually they float a little bit easier they orient into er where they need all of this er space because again they don't have the same ir demands that that other athletes do so so flattening them out actually can enhance performance. They got to be careful that you don't go too far, obviously, because you take away the stuff that they do need, and then, then you have like the the so called swimmer shoulder or whatever uh, thoracic outlet would follow, right? Any number yeah. of cases like that. But you know, it is kind of interesting just to see the differences in in selection, if you will. Right. So yeah, over time, you have the, your greatest potential for movement early on in space time, and then over time the pressures, gravity, all the internal and external forces working together, squeeze you from front to back, keep pushing you forward. And then you have to figure out movement strategies in order to keep doing the things you need to do. And over your lifetime, those strategies might do you very well and you don't have any sort of issues with injury or you have very minor ones, but there are a lot of instances where they don't work anymore. And you've worn through a knee, you've worn through a hip, you've worn through your ankle. And that's like, um, kind of what we're trying to talk about. And then from there, so, so that the question of becoming like, well, what's the hierarchy of things that I need to try to do in order to reclaim a, a pain, like a pain-free movement at a certain joint, understanding how we got there is probably step one so that we can reverse engineer from right. that. Right. Uh, and so you think about, you like, think about yeah. starting conditions. Let, let's just yes. talk about the starting. So the starting conditions is the relative motion that we talked about before. So we would we would consider this in, in, in a textbook. It would be considered like norms or, or normal ranges of motion. So the access to those would be representative of somebody that would that would have um, relative motions available under most circumstances. Um, relative motion is effortless and therefore there is no focal load. Um, that would be represented in any of those those motions. And so typically that would be the least likely uh, representation where you would have a painful situation. And so that's where we would typically have started at some point in time in your lifetime. And then you have moved in a direction and then we would just reverse engineer it from where you are. So we want to go from point B back to point A because that's typically where your your best case scenario resides. Okay. And then I know it's, it's going to be sort of an N equals one situation and every case will be idiosyncratic, 
But when you're thinking about like someone has some type of injury issue and you're trying to knock the home run out of the park right <laughs> in the beginning, like what what are you what are we trying to do from a, in a hierarchical sense? Like what are the things that we're going after trying to restore in like order of progression to do to get back to a pain free environment? Well, you think about, so we talked about the center of gravity going forward. So you have mm -hmm. to be able to move the center of gravity inside of the base of support. So in some cases, it's going to be a right to left movement. In some cases, it will be a front to back movement, depending on, on your foundational structures, right? And so the, the where and the when is, is merely dependent on what representation you, you show up with, right? So if we can move the center of gravity, like to do that, we actually have to recapture the ability to move relatively. So within within a segment, so we could we could look at the knee again, and we could say that okay, if if I am at the end of my base of support, there would be no relative motion available, where I could where I could superimpose both an internal rotation and an external rotation at the same time. If I can move the center of gravity back inside the base of support, that's where that relationship lives. And so in in many cases, all we have to teach people to do, and it sounds like it's quite crazy easy. It's a simple concept. It's just not an easy concept because we're dealing with humans. But what we have to be able to do is we have to access um, contacts with a surface that will allow us to move the center of gravity in the direction um, that we need it to go so we can, again, recapture these relative motions. So I have an ankle that moves with, with joints moving relative to one another. I have a knee that moves with joints moving relative to one another versus moving against one another and relying on connective tissues as as a solution to movement because that's not what connective tissues are there for right i think a practical example that you know i could put a picture up of this is a lot of times i end up using and i know in many cases you end up using like a hook line position mm -hmm. uh, where yeah. you're coaching foot contacts mm -hmm. to try to use the ground the the lowering of muscle activity by putting someone on the ground and then, you know, putting their feet in a position that allows you to almost coach them through the progression of how to mm -hmm. move their base of support back yeah. to the middle. Correct. Uh, so that would be like, you know, a, a position to use to try to hit a home run in a sense of bringing someone back within their base of support. Well, it, it is, it is the, the earliest representation where we can still get a, a, a ground contact that I would be using upright. So the foot position. So when you're standing, obviously your foot is the, is the first contact with the ground. And, and that's how we control our center of gravity, but we have to have the movement through the foot to, to do so. So if I have a, you know, all of the bones of the foot moving as, as one, I don't have the segmental motion available for relative motions. Well, if I can take gravity away, to some measurable degree, I can put you in a position where I can still access those ground contacts. Now I have a foot that can move relatively, relatively, and then that allows me to progress this relative motion upward from from the foot. So that's why hook lying is actually a useful, a useful position. There's any number of other positions that we could use depending on, like again, we we have to identify where these people are in space. 
um, as far as the, the shape uh, that they're that they're utilizing and the position of the center of gravity. But generally speaking, hook line tends to be a very useful position. Okay, so let's call let's call that step one. Bringing someone back within their base of support is step one. And like mm -hmm. you had mentioned, there are going to be different ways to do that based on inherent structure. Mm -hmm. So that's something mm -hmm. that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and you talk uh -huh. about a lot as part of your model. Uh -huh. And I think it's something to repeat over and over again, because it's really important to understand that the way that you might have two different, you might have, if you and I both walk into the clinic with medial knee pain yes. and we're both out over our right foot, yes. we didn't get there the same way because no. I'm a very narrow person and you're a very yes. wide person. Yes. We look and like the number 10. Yeah. <laughs> That means I'm number one. <laughs> there you go. And I'm a goose egg. So there you go. <laughs> I'm number one. There you go. But yeah, so yeah. That, that's, you know, we keep repeating that, but I, I feel like it's, it's a thing that we're going to keep repeating because. Well, if, if you don't start in the same place, but you end up in the same place, you didn't get there the same way. Right. And yeah. then the, the analogy is always like you go from New York to Chicago. I go from L.A. to Chicago. And guess what? We both get to Chicago, but we got there in different ways. Yeah. Right. And so, and so we could we could look the same at the end. But but if we and that's don't a tough if we don't yeah. understand how we got there, maybe you get lucky. But it's a lot easier to, to understand. Like we talk about reverse engineering. It's, it's a lot easier to understand how to intervene if I understand how you got there. And there's only certain ways that you can based on your physical structure. Those are constraints, those are absolutes. There are certain ways that certain things can and will move in certain circumstances. All we have to do is, is understand that. And now we understand, it's like, oh, how did you get from LA to Chicago? Oh, I went this way. Okay, so if I wanna go back to LA, I know which direction to go. I'm not gonna give you the directions to go to New York because it's the wrong way. Yeah. That's that's not common thinking when it comes to treatment models. It's I think everyone, I think I think everybody attempts to do so. I just no, think that, I think I, just, I think I just, you're giving everybody too much credit. <laughs> I think every I think everyone comes in. Everyone that comes in the door through the clinic in a lot of cases that has medial knee pain is the same person, and they all get treated exactly the same because they have medial knee pain. So they are this. Well, you know, I would I would hope not. But maybe maybe that is the case. That is not. that is what happens, I, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't I don't I don't see it anymore. So I don't. Yeah, that's I don't true. think about it too much. So, uh, bringing someone back within their base of support. So controlling the environment, I'm still getting obviously still getting expansion and compression because I'm breathing in these positions. So mm -hmm. it's in some some way really low bandwidth, not a lot of like not a lot of force there. Uh, not a lot of gravity influence there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting motion and movement and like a very small oscillation in area that's controlled. Then as I progress, if that's step one, as I progress to being able to relearn how to move through space, like what, what are the main things that you're trying to restore or reteach to someone as they're getting more dynamic? Well, no, number one, number one is, is can you, 
recapture and then maintain relative motions in a reduced gravity situation. So this is lower muscle activity, access to, to the relative motions, access to, to typically we're gonna use contact with the ground. Okay, and so this might be not upright standing at first, but the idea is, it's like we, we want to get you back to where you actually do stuff. So I want you to be able to stand up. I want you to run. I want you to jump. I want you to actually magnify gravity through some some sort of, you know, um, fast, explosive, dynamic activity or a heavily loaded activity. Right? I want you to be able to maintain through that as you, as you're you're capable of. So so that would be the pr progression. It It is it is merely um, number one getting accustomed to being able to manage yourself in the in the gravitational field right but I have to alter that direction right because I have to make it easier first right I want relative motions now can you do this if I increase the demands right and um, you know breathing through an activity will typically represent your ability to access the relative motion as you progress. It's just one of those cool little things that catch yourself holding your breath when you bend over to pick up the, the pencil off the floor, guess what? You probably didn't use relative motions to get there because you had to tie a bunch of stuff together. And if you hold your breath, you're squeezing. If you're squeezing, you don't have relative motions. Yeah, so in, an, in a dynamic sense, the, the two ends of the, the spectrum would be, I'm picking, a thousand pounds up off the ground. So tons of pressure. I'm locking everything up as much as I can. I'm on no more relative. If there's relative motion, something's going to break. Well, you have to, because you, you cannot express maximum force output with full relative motion. It's not possible because relative right. motion actually dampens force up. And the opposite of that perspective would be Tai Chi, some type of flowing dance, martial art, where I have to be able to change levels, move from side to side, access a lot of different positions and, and of my limbs in space yeah. while moving. So yeah, there still is obviously some force production happening, but mm -hmm. it's so intermittent between the expansive end of things and the expansive ends of movement. Yeah. So those you would be my extremes. Well, you can't, you can't be a great salsa dancer and hold your breath. Yeah, you're probably not going to see a lot of thousand pound squatters who are going to win a, a capoeira. <laughs> there you go. Or a tai, exactly. a tai Chi competition. Tai Chi. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. I mean, the combative Tai Chi is definitely much more, you know, squeezing and, and holding well, that, your ground. You're push, like push hands? Yeah, push hands. Yeah. Uh, but I'm talking about like just the flowing, you know, movement. I'm with you. Love that stuff. Yeah. Love that stuff. Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com, get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.